You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In our sermon this morning, a little bit different, we'll look at a few scripture passages. Starting at the beginning of the Bible in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, verse 33. And we'll read a few verses about the Feast of Tabernacles. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, the Lord's Feast of Tabernacles begins, and it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. For seven days, present offerings made to the Lord by fire. And on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present an offering made to the Lord by fire. It is the closing assembly. Do no regular work. These are the Lord's appointed feasts which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies for bringing offerings made to the Lord by fire, the burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings required for each day. These offerings are in addition to those for the Lord's Sabbaths and in addition to your gifts and whatever you have vowed and all the free will offerings you give to the Lord. So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you have gathered the crops of the land, Celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of rest, and the eighth day also is a day of rest. On the first day you are to take choice fruit from the trees and palm fronds, leafy branches and poplars, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in booths for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in booths. So your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses announced to the Israelites the appointed feasts of the Lord. Now let's turn to the second last book of the New Testament, of the Old Testament, sorry. The book of Zechariah. Zechariah 14, that's on page 1485. 1485. Zechariah 14, starting at verse 8. Read to verse 19. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea and half to the western sea, in summer and in winter. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord, and his name, the only name. The whole land from Geba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem, will become like the Arabah. But Jerusalem will be raised up and remain in its place, from the Benjamin Gate to the site of the first gate, to the corner gate, and from the, from the Tower of Hananel to the royal wine presses. It will be inhabited. Never again will it be destroyed. Jerusalem will be secure. This is the plague with which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. On that day, men will be stricken by the Lord with great panic. Each man will seize the hand of another, and they will attack each other. Judah, too, will fight at Jerusalem. The wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected. Great quantities of gold and silver and clothing... A similar plague will strike the horses and mules, 
<clears throat> the camels and donkeys and all the animals <clears throat> and all the animals in those camps. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. If the Egyptian people do not go up and take part, they will have no rain. The Lord will bring on them the plague He inflicts on the nations that do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And now let's read two passages from the New Testament. First of all, from John chapter 7, the Gospel of John. John 7, starting at verse 37. That's on page 1660. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Christ. Still others asked, How can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the Scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. And just one more Scripture passage from the last book of the Bible of the New Testament, Revelation 22, page 1938, Revelation 22, 1 through 5. There the Apostle John, inspired by the Spirit, writes, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, do you know what time of year it is? That's right, it's Sukkoth. Or as it's called, also called the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, or even just the Feast. The harvest is in, the grain has been milled, the fruit trees have been picked, the new wine is ready to drink. Now it's time to build a little shelter in the backyard. We're all going to move out of our homes, enjoy this beautiful weather, and spend seven days camping out in the backyard. For eight days, there will be a whole lot of sacrifices, more so than any other time. And because it's the seventh Sukkoth, the law, the five books of Moses, are going to be read out loud 
Tomorrow, I'm volunteering Bastard Young for the job. Everyone has to be here to listen. The Simcha Torah, it's called. Rejoicing in the law. And that will be the real joy of the people of God, not just the new wine. And to show that we are always to be reading the Word of God, we will end by reading Genesis chapter 1. Now, what's that, you say? That sounds like you're talking about the Old Testament, not about Thanksgiving. And of course we are. But did you know there was a Thanksgiving in the Old Testament? Way before the pilgrims and all that. You know, teachers maybe might debate with you about when the first Thanksgiving happened. You know, was it in 1621 in Massachusetts? Was it 1578 in Newfoundland? Now, the first Thanksgiving is much, much older than that. In fact, God Himself instituted the first Thanksgiving, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so the first one, maybe we might say, would have been when the Israelites had entered Canaan, maybe 1410 B.C., something like that. Thanksgiving, after all, belongs, first and foremost, to the people of God. Those who know God, know thanks. Those who live with God, live in thanks. Sin grows through ungratefulness and ingratitude. But the people of God are those who know the goodness of God again. As Paul says in one of his letters, they give thanks in all circumstances even because they know God again, the source of every blessing. And they know His face shines upon them always in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanksgiving then is not just a holiday, a long weekend. Thanksgiving is not just a matter too of sort of minding your P's and Q's that you ought to be thankful. It's the polite thing to do. No, God instituted the first Thanksgiving. It's part of His law. And therefore too, like everything in the law, the sacrifices, the temple, all the feasts, the Feast of Tabernacles too, the Old Testament Thanksgiving was even but a shadow of something far greater. It was a pointer to God's great blessings of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. It looked to even a greater time of thanksgiving. And that's what we can rejoice in this weekend. I put the sermon under under this theme. Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the Feast of Thanksgiving. And we'll look at three things. We'll look at the Old Testament first. Then we'll look at the New Testament, and then we'll look also at eternal life. So the Israelite Thanksgiving then was called the Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles. And Sukkoth is the word for booths in Hebrew. The Israelites were to build little huts of willow and myrtle branches and palm fronds and live in them for a week. Now why such a strange Thanksgiving? Some scholars think that this was sort of a leftover from the way the harvest was done in those days. You would sometimes build little huts out in your fields. So you could sleep there, for instance, and then make the most of the time as you're harvesting. So you could perhaps also guard the harvest from from enemies or from animals. 
And it's true, that sort of thing is described in Isaiah chapter 1. But in Leviticus 23, we get an entirely different context. Build shelters, says God, so that you are reminded of the time in the past when you lived in shelters or in tents. And when was that? That was in that the wilderness wandering from Egypt to Israel. The Israelite thanksgiving then was structured to always look back to that time of wandering, the time when God provided for His people too, with manna every day, with water from the rock, to the time when even their clothes did not wear out. Now that teaches us two critical things. First of all then, when the Israelites every year saw the great blessings of God in their harvest, in material things, they were to look back and reflect on that time of blessing in the wilderness. Every harvest then, God wanted His people not just to taste even of His goodness, but more of His power, His faithfulness to His covenant promises, His deliverance. If he had not led them out of Egypt and cared for them in the wilderness, they wouldn't be farming their farms in the land of milk and honey. They would still be slaves and have that miserable life in Egypt. So the harvest feast in Israel was also to be a feast of salvation, of rejoicing in that. And you and I are to have the same sort of thing. Now, we don't go out and build little booths. But what if on our Thanksgiving table, for instance, amidst all the abundance of food, we we maybe had a cross? Something like that. So all the food and the abundance that we enjoy, we'd always be reflecting and seeing on what God, too, has provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every bit of bread, in fact, for the people of God is to remind us of the bread of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. The abundance that we have in material things is to remind us of the abundance that we have also in the Lord Jesus Christ. That in Him we have abundant grace, abundant comfort, abundant victory, we can shortchange ourselves or cheapen our thanksgiving. Israel tasted every year of God's fatherly care in the wilderness again. We are to taste in all of our blessings as well as the people of God, God's greatest care, God's greatest gift in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the second thing. In the wilderness, it was clear that God not only provided for His people, but that God was gracious. His people really were whiners and complainers. But yet He provided for them time and time again. He showed such patience and faithfulness when they did not deserve it in the slightest. 
And at the Feast of Tabernacles, there was also a reminder of this. You know, there was a huge amount of sacrifices at the temple, including sin offerings. At least 192 animals were slaughtered. More so than at any other feast. And that was also a continuation of what had gone on just a few days earlier. See, just five years or five days earlier in the Israelite year, there was another festival. Do you know which one preceded the Feast of Booths? That was the Day of Atonement. And that day then would have been a day of countrywide mourning and lamenting. It was a day of fasting, in fact, we read. So before the feasting, the big party of Thanksgiving, there was a day of fasting, of eating nothing. Before the Israelites celebrated the reality of God's goodness, they confessed the reality also of their own sin. And they continued to be reminded of that too at the great feast of Thanksgiving. The Israelite Thanksgiving then was radically different than any other harvest feast in the ancient world. The Canaanites, for instance, they had their own parties at this time of the year. You can read about one of them in Judges chapter 9. It was even sort of Italian. They were stomping on grapes barefoot. But the thanksgiving of the people of God was to be so much different. There was to be great joy, but not just superficially celebrating the blessings of God, but celebrating the grace of God. No other nation offered sin offerings at its time of harvest. The Israelites then had to confess there was only abundant blessing because the sin too, which was abundant, had been taken away. But the focus of that feast was joy. In fact, in Deuteronomy 16, another passage we could have read, God tells His people about this feast, be joyful in this feast. We can have joy, after all, not just in a harvest, in a beautiful, peaceful, and prosperous land. Well, certainly we ought to be thankful for that. But we know the God who is faithful in bringing spring and summer and fall as our faithful God in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can have such a rich joy because we not only know blessings, we know the God who has given them. In them, we can also taste of the grace and the love of our God. The God too who has given us His one and only Son and with Him all things How the world can be happy on a superficial level. We can have real joy. We can celebrate this week and know that we are loved. We are loved by the God of the universe. 
That takes us to our second point. In John chapter 7, we read about the Lord Jesus Christ at the feast. The feast. Again, that's the feast of tabernacles. Now, the rituals of the feast had grown a little bit in those days. And you need to understand them to understand what Jesus does and says at the feast. In those days, in Jerusalem, a priest would go down with a little procession to the pool of Siloam. And there he would fill a golden pitcher with water. As he and the other worshippers with him went back into Jerusalem, the trumpet would blast three times. That was to reflect Isaiah 12, verse 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. At the temple, the priest would walk around the big altar. There would be a choir who would sing Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. When the first words of Psalm 118, the one that we'll sing in a moment, were sung, give thanks to the Lord. Every man and boy shook something called the lulav, a bunch of willow and myrtle branches, and they repeated loudly together, give thanks to the Lord. And on the other hand, you would hold high a, a sort of citron, a, a, something like a lemon, as a sign of the harvest, especially the fruit harvest. And this was all repeated towards the end of Psalm 118, as well as the words, O Lord, save us. And then the water was poured by a priest onto a large bowl that was on the altar as part of the drink offering. Now, there's a couple of things the Jews had in mind with this particular ritual. First, this drawing from the water of the Pool of Siloam reminded the Jews, as this feast was supposed to do, again about the wilderness wanderings, and where water was given to, God, given to the people of God from the rock when the Israelites were dying of thirst. Secondly, it was also hope that there would be water for the next year, over the next harvest. In fact, the Jews believed that the rainfall of the next year was determined by what happened at the Feast of Tabernacles. The grain crops would be seeded very soon, and there's no real irrigation or anything like that in Palestine. You need, you need rain from above. Maybe not an issue here, but an issue in Palestine, an issue certainly in, in the prairies, let's say. And that idea that the rain for the next season was related to the people of God and what they did at their Feast of, of Thanksgiving, of Tabernacles, is, is not just some little bit of superstition, in fact. It's actually based on Scripture. That's why we read from Zechariah 14. If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to celebrate the feast, that was the Feast of Tabernacles, they will have no rain. That was their punishment. And third, the Jews more and more saw in this feast a promise of the Messiah and what He would bring, the kingdom of God. The Messiah would bring a time of great abundance. In one of Ezekiel's visions, 
For instance, at the end of his book, God promises that one day a river will flow from Jerusalem, from the temple, and even enter the Dead Sea and make the Dead Sea a place of life. So that's the context of John chapter 7. On the last and greatest day of the feast, we read, our Savior stood up and said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within him. What an amazing promise. Our Savior then at this feast proclaims that He is the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. The rock in the wilderness, the Apostle Paul tells us, that rock was Christ. The Israelites were literally dying of thirst. We all are. As sinners, we're in the same place. But there is one who can quench the thirst of every human being. And he says that he brings the water for the next year that you so desperately need. Not just the rains, but streams of living waters from within you. And third, he's also the Messiah who brings the kingdom of God. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. That's a very special joy Isaiah talks about. The joy that the day of the Lord has come. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ proclaims here. Streams of living water will flow from you. Like streams, like Isaiah, like Ezekiel saw, that a stream would flow from Jerusalem and even bring life to the Dead Sea in our, into our lives as well where there are places of barrenness and curse, in the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be blessing and great joy. Now we have to point out this very interesting point too. The Jews believe that what happened at the Feast of Tabernacles determined the harvest of the next year. So their Thanksgiving did not just look back. It did not just celebrate present blessings. It looked forward. So now look at what Jesus says. If you believe in me, what will the future be like? How much rain will you have? Streams of living water will flow from within you. And he was speaking about the Holy Spirit. And when is the Holy Spirit poured out? When is the first Pentecost? It is in the next year. Christ then does not just promise rain. He promises His Spirit. And that is what happens. What happens between there? He goes to the cross. His blood is poured out so that also His Spirit too might be poured out in abundance on those who believe in Him. What's the blessing that we seek over the next year? That's what you need to think about too. The thanksgiving. What do you really want? What will make life plentiful and abundant and fruitful? It's the Holy Spirit. 
who will make us walk in God's ways, who will transform us. There are far greater blessings than our world knows and then our world seeks. There are far greater blessings of food and drink and of a good crop or a decent economy. There is the Holy Spirit. And that is the way of abundance. Will you confess that with me? That we seek at our thanksgiving too a greater abundance than the world around us does. We seek to be abundant in, in good works to the glory of God. We seek to be abundant in the fruit of the Spirit. We seek to be abundant in, in love for those around us, even, even for our enemies. We seek to be abundant in patience and gentleness and kindness and self-control. That is the life the Lord Jesus Christ has come to bring. The Lord Jesus Christ talks about the Holy Spirit flowing up from within us. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Cling to Him in faith. And you will have a well within you. The Holy Spirit who transforms those bare and dead places in your life into places of life and blessing. If you walk by the Spirit, you will find that even places, even deserts of trials and temptations will be turned into places of blessing. Who knows what the next year holds for us in terms of our physical and material life? Who knows what the economy will do? But if you know the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, there will always be an abundance. That takes us to our third point. Now there's even more here, of course, than just the next year and just this life. The Feast of Tabernacles was about the fullness of salvation, eternal life. That's what the Spirit brings. But here too we see the path to that life, the way to those blessings. And the path is thankfulness. This is how we progress in enjoying the blessings of the Lord. Zechariah warns us. There's some disturbing words, aren't there, at the end of Zechariah 14. If any people, too, do not go up to celebrate the feast, they will have no rain. Maybe that's the lesser of those disturbing words. But it's very clear there. If this feast is not celebrated, if there is no thanks, there is really no salvation, no life. And that's what those wilderness wanderings too also teach us. Why didn't a whole generation enter the promised land? Because they were grumblers, complainers, murmurers. They did not observe thanksgiving. I mean, a real thanksgiving where they rejoiced in God's grace and God's power. But for those who observe thanksgiving, there will be blessings upon the next year. There will be great blessings in the next life. Overflowing riches. 
In Revelation 22, you read about a river flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. That's the fulfillment. A, a number of themes in Scripture converge in that. It's also the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. We're told too that river runs through the tree of life. And the Feast of Tabernacles was very much too about the fruit harvest. One day John sees there will be a great fruit. Not just a citron that the Jews, you know, waved at their Feast of Tabernacles. There will be the fruit of the tree of life. Bearing its crops in all seasons, we read. In Zechariah, we read, the Feast of Booths will be celebrated over the whole earth. What are we looking forward to after all? What is eternal life? To know God again? To know His grace, His blessings? To know even the blessing of, of God Himself who gives Himself to His people? And then to respond with all your being in joy, in gratitude, and awe. The next life, heaven of course, is not just simply living forever. It's rejoicing before the Lord in a thanksgiving that will never run dry. A great feast of tabernacles for what God has done in the Lord Jesus Christ. In this life, in this world, we are being trained and tested for those greater blessings. We are learning what life with God, the true God, must be like. We are being trained and guided to abundance, not just in the next year, but of the next life. But hell, hell is a place of thirst. Hell is a place of grumbling, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. Hell is filled with sinners who are forever willfully blind to the goodness of God, the glory of God, and the grace of God. Look at your life. Look at your thanksgiving. Where are you headed? Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.